Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, Now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke All right. Hey, folks. It's Neil. I'll be hosting today's podcast. Who knows what the big guy is up to? Uh, and today's topic, it's its kind of a special project I've been working on for the past three weeks related to COVID-19 and the impact on the golf business specifically. Um, and as we continue to find new topics and new guests to cover on both the NLU podcast and the Trap Draw I wanted to chat with some of our partners and friends across the golf business um, and let them offer a firsthand perspective on how COVID-19 is impacting their business. You'll hear from Clay Hood, the CEO of Precision Pro Rangefinders, Malcolm Murray, the head professional at Brora Golf Club in the Highlands of Scotland, Alex Holderness, uh, the founder and CEO of Holderness and Bourne Golf Apparel, and Lauren Coughlin, who plays on the LPGA and Symmetra Tour, and is one of uh, NLU's 2020 young hitters. What's a young hitter? Uh, we sponsor. But before we dive into the conversations, I wanted to offer a few stats uh, that I came across that highlight the impact um, that this virus has had on golf. These are from the National Golf Foundation newsletter and really put into perspective the impact uh, of this virus on golf as a business. So as of April 19th, 49% of the nation's golf courses here in the U.S. Uh, are still allowing play, so 51% are closed. Um, and as we approach the peak of golf club buying season, um, and that stat I got from Google Trends, I guess based on search interest, um, all of the national golf retail stores remain closed to foot traffic while approximately 20% of independent and regional retailers are open. Uh, and from an overall square footage perspective, only 4% of total off-course golf specialty space is now open to in-store traffic. Uh, so a couple things that jumped out at me. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the National Golf Foundation website. Uh, they've got some awesome interactive maps uh, related to COVID-19 and its impact on on golf. The NGFQ.com um, is, the, is the website. So without further ado, uh, first up is my conversation with Clay Hood, the CEO and founder of Precision Pro. My guest um, right now is Clay Hood, the CEO and founder of Precision Pro. Um, Clay, how are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Thanks for having me on. I think we should start with uh, just an overview of uh, Precision Pro, and looks like you founded the company in 2013. Um you know, maybe a quick overview of why you decided to found the company and maybe a couple highlights of uh, the business um, that brings us up to the present day. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, I started the company back in uh, 2013 with my co-founder, uh, Jonah Mitro, and uh, we were actually out in California at the time, uh, out in the Los Angeles area. And uh, yeah, we had a, you know, idea that um, at the time, golf range finders were, you know, they were very useful. You didn't see a ton of people with them. They were very helpful, uh, but they also are super expensive. So, not a ton of people had access to them at the you know at that time. The you know the cheapest you could really get a product for was about three hundred bucks, and a lot of them were were going up more than that. So, 
we just had a you know simple idea: could we produce a product that we could sell for you know say two hundred dollars at a kind of a retail level, you know, good quality? So we started working with some um, you know manufacturers overseas to see if we could do that, and we we after quite a bit of trying and testing and just uh, trying to get this thing going, we got to a place where we thought we could do that. So mid 2014, we rolled out our first product. Um, it was you know, at the time it was the, really the first or the only sub two hundred dollar rangefinder you could buy it at the you know, retail level. You could go into the store and buy, and uh, yeah, people you know the golf retailers, people who tried it, kind of they liked it. They you know thought it was good. Price point was great. Um, and since then, we've over the you know years we we were basically just kind of working with like, with an overseas factory to kind of make a product for us. We since then have started to build our own products, and that was kind of our you know focus day six, eight months after we kind of got going with, you know, how do we now build our own products and actually work much better and, and provide more value. And you know, we've done that. We're probably on our what, fourth or fifth generation of product now. It's 2020. We've got some new stuff coming out here soon. And uh, yeah, we've, you know, over the, geez, it's been six, five and a half years now since our first product was out. So we've grown a, quite a bit. We're up to 12 employees now and we're in, you know, retail all you know all over the world, exporting goods, um, golf courses, re- regional golf shops, um, Amazon our website. So, yeah, it's, it's been quite the quite the journey, and um, we've been able to, I think, continue our kind of our message of value, but also improve our quality and, and really put out a good product there for the price. Yeah, and so you mentioned um, you're doing things overseas, and now it, it went from maybe white labeling a, a rangefinder in the early days to creating something. From scratch, where do you make those rangefinders? We make the products. Uh, we go make some products in China, some products in the Philippines. Um, so all of our our stuff made in Asia, and um, you know, as kind of you know, learning in the electronics market, pretty much anything you buy that's got a battery in it nowadays is, is made over there. Yeah, and so if we maybe rewind two months, did you get a feel that? with this virus that uh, things were slowing down for you on the manufacturing side? Did you have concerns before, uh, I guess, two and a half weeks ago from when we're recording this, when kind of, you know, golf and things really shut down in in the U.S., um, which I think was like Thursday, March 12th, Wednesday, March 11th? Yeah. Yeah, that was was really our first concern. Um, We, you know, this this kind of with the the COVID-19 things that happened, so fast and things have changed so much just kind of day to day and week to week our initial concern was we saw this you know in, in china as most people did and, um you know how you know how what this going to mean for you know for kind of you know producing and such um it's since gone from from that to demand side so pretty you know our, our so basically with our production overseas it's um you know, it, it, we've we've seen a little bit of a delay, but it's not a, a huge thing. Um, we were gonna, we've got some new products that were supposed to come out in mid March. They're gonna now be early May, so we were looking at a month and a half delay on that. Uh, products we were selling previously, we had plenty in stock, and our manufacturers able to produce more of them. So, you know, I think we're fortunate on the on that supply side that um, you know it, we haven't had a huge issue. But when we first saw that, like we're like, you know, this could be a this could be a real issue, could be a real problem, but it's it was unfortunate that it hasn't. Yeah. And so then if we kind of rewind back to say Thursday, March 12th, um, do you kind of remember what your first concern was or kind of like the first, uh, I don't know, oh shit moment like that, like, you know, things are shutting down. Like that means this is going to happen. Like you're like for us over here, it was like, you know, the travel ban and we we're like, how oh, we got this trip to Scotland for 30 folks on our, 
you know, within our audience on our message board. And it was kind of like, okay, that can't happen. And then as the days have passed, you realize like how small of a concern that was, um, you know, in the grander scheme of things. And I'm curious if there was an initial thing you were really concerned about. And then that's either been um, confirmed that like, that's a big concern or has it, has it been something completely different that is now your main focus or main concern? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's, it's evolved so much that in the early, I would say probably the first week of March, um, one of our advisory board members who, who was a, who's a retired uh, business owner, kind of not in the golf space, but in, in electronics, um, we are, he, he basically called me and like, you know, what are you, what are you thinking about this? Like, like, I don't think it's fun of it right now. Like, you know, we're going to have some delays with products, but and he, he basically said, you know, you, you better look at this a little bit more closely. You better have a little bit more of a plan. And that kind of, you know, got me kind of thinking a little bit. So we started to do some more kind of with our team, just like what could happen here? You know, what could really, you know, what could go, what could go wrong? You know, is this going to be a thing for us? Well, like we, we really don't know. So let's, okay what can we do we can you know right now just kind of keep keep pushing forward like if we have anything that's big right in front of us let's maybe try to push that back a little bit hold off on that um so that was probably the first week in march and then we talk about march 12th um that was what the first day of the players championship when they still played i had personally had a, a golf league drawing that night and you know everything was like that morning everything was still i won't say normal but not crazy and that day is, I think, the day they canceled the NCAA tournament. They canceled all the things on, on that day. Um, they still played the Players' Championship. That night, my my wife basically says to me, like, you have to have all your team, like, work from home starting tomorrow. Like, what? I don't I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. Um, so we went in Friday the 13th. Not just now that I think about that, it's a weird day. Friday the 13th, I talked to my guys, and they're all like, yeah, like, we, you know, we need to, like, I would we would feel comfortable if we went home. I was like, holy crap, I didn't had no idea how big of a thing this was. So we let at 10 a.m. on Friday the 13th, all of our guys went to work from home, and uh, we've been there for two two weeks now, almost two and a half weeks. So it's it's just gone from, like, we didn't think much of it in the beginning to, like, now it's obviously it's a huge thing now. Yeah, so it sounds like on the supply side, from a you know big order standpoint, it's a delay. What about on the day-to-day fulfillment side from the warehouse? Do you guys fulfill through your own warehouse, or do you do a third party, uh, or you know something like Amazon? So we do a little bit of both. We we do fulfill on our own, um, but we also fulfill through Amazon. So anything like with Amazon, anything any orders that happen on Amazon, Amazon fulfills those. Um, so that's been good. That's been fine for us for now. Uh, Amazon is you know rightly prioritizing essential things. So you know, we're seeing some delays in shipping, but, and then in some other countries we work in, like they're just not shipping products like ours. They're only shipping essential things. Um, on the actual, our warehouse side, we do actually warehouse ourselves and ship ourselves. And, um, you know, basically what we're doing now is one of our operations guys is shipping just a couple orders a day, basically stuff from our website from his garage. Um, we can't go to the office. So he took home, you know, several, you know, as many products as we could, basically get him and he's shipping stuff he's boxing in his garage he's shipping it you know usps is coming by and uh ups is coming by picking those things up so um so it's not it's not ideal but we're able to kind of manage and manage it as best we can um you know the interesting thing about what's going on like most retail locations are not open right now so we're not really seeing any orders from retail business um 
so we wouldn't be really be able to fulfill those, you know, even if we did. Um, so we're able to just fulfill a few orders here and there, kind of it come and go, and um, we're able to make that okay. Yeah, and what from a like a, a split, and you know, you can give me general numbers or if it's it's private, I understand, but a split between, you know, big orders to a retail store versus what you guys do e-commerce wise. I would say it's probably fifty fifty. Okay. Um, you know, probably half retail. I mean, we're working with you know, anywhere from big sporting goods to um, to a golf, to your local municipal golf course, so and everything in between there. Um, so, you know, from a, just from a business standpoint, like without those orders, it's not fantastic. Um, but you know, with the online business, it's still kind of going some, and, and Amazon does a lot of that with their shipping, and, and we can do the rest through our um, our, our our operations guy at his, at his house. And I've been following the news. I, I do all the uh, merch stuff for NLU, and and we've got a, a fulfillment center, a third party work with in Salt Lake City. So I don't do any work with Amazon. I've you know studied up on them. We considered doing some fulfillment by Amazon, but we haven't. I'm curious. Uh, one, I'm impressed with how they've you know handled things, but I'm curious how their communication has been with third party you know sellers like yourself. Like, have they sent out you know, a steady stream of updates have they are is their customer support like easy to get in touch with because i would imagine you, you I, my experience was you had to send you know specific amount of product to specific warehouses around the country to be prime eligible and it has to be packed a certain way and they have a very specific process you have to follow and in doing that you probably lock up a lot of products in their warehouses um which you know if something like this happens it can be scary like well now what and I'm just curious if they've been, how they've adjusted their, um, or if they, even if they have adjusted their um, relationship with third-party vendors and how their communication has been. Um, you know, from our perspective, we have seen a lot of communication. We're getting daily emails that are, you know, they're kind of um, just mass emails, but they're, they're giving updates as to like, you know, what's going on. Um, so one thing that Amazon has done is they're not taking any additional shipments of non-essential goods and, you know, golf range finders or are not essential as they shouldn't be. Um, so what that means is, you know, what you have with Amazon is what you can sell. If you run out, you run out. Like you, you're, you know, you're, you're off the market until you, until they can start taking more stuff there. Cause you're just seeing so much, uh, so much, you know, stuff come in and, you know, having trouble filling this position. So they, they've communicated well with us. Uh, we were fortunate, you know, we, and we didn't plan this. It's just kind of how we, do things and maybe maybe what's kind of plan we keep a, quite a bit of stock with them because we we do a good bit of business with them so it's been enough for us to continue on and have stuff to to sell um i do know if this is not something we do with amazon but uh, some some smaller businesses have uh, financing with them and i know amazon is um is uh put um kind of some you know some holds on that to help out people so as, as far as we're concerned, I think they've done a, a great job with what they've done. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough time for everyone, and it's, it's tough if you're not doing much business, but it also can be tough if you have to do more than you're, you know, more than you're used to. So I think they've done a good job. And we, we touched on it kind of at the beginning of the conversation, but, you know, I kind of asked what's your, I guess, what's keeping you up at night, right? So is it the supply chain or, or are there other problems that have now surfaced where you're, you're, you know, concerned about more so than that? Um, you know, supply chain is not a huge, once we kind of settled that out and we, we you know, it's decided that we, we had enough stuff and we were in our factory about producing some more stuff. 
we, you know, we're kind of past that, you know, idea of supply chain being an issue. I mean, our biggest, the biggest thing that kind of keeps me up at night is like, what's the impact going to be on this long term? Um, I think we're fortunate from the aspect that we, we do sell a good bit of product online and we're pretty good at it. And we've actually seen orders, online orders, you know, maintain. Um, I won't say that at the levels where I would, you know, we would want them to be this time of year, but they're not horrendous anymore. So we're still able to sell stuff. And that's been able to, you know, keep us from, you know, having to make any drastic cuts, you know, with, with anything around the business. Um, so it, I think the thing that really kind of keeps keeps me up at night, keeps us up at night is what, you know, is this going to be two months, three months, six months? You know, one month. Um, you know, when will when will stores reopen? When will people start to feel comfortable going back out? Um, and it's you know the hard thing is it's just so uncertain that you don't really know. Um, so you just have to kind of take your best guess and, and plan, or you know, and then just plan the best you can. And you know, this is a unprecedented once in a you know once in a two hundred year event. So you just can't really have a great you know, it's not like you were doing, you know, simulations on this, like what, how's this, how's this affect us? Um, so that, I mean, that's our biggest thing. Just when does, you know, when do things get back to somewhat of a, of a normal aspect? Um, and I don't think anyone's really got a good answer on that. I mean, we've noticed something similar in the, you know, NLU pro shop where like the orders have remained steady, which we didn't, I don't think we really expected. Um, Mm -hmm. we've, you know, we've released a few newsletters, which has helped. I think people are, you know, kind of open to getting uh, newsletters that aren't related to maybe their day-to-day business. I've, I've kind of noticed that. Have you employed any, have you changed anything up on the marketing side? Have you, have you, you know, used promotions more? Have you uh, done anything different than you did, you know, two and a half weeks ago? Um, yeah, we've done a little bit and we were actually, we were kind of planning on doing this uh, anyway. We ha- we have some, we had some new, pro- we have some new products coming out, excuse me. And they were, we thought they would be out by now. And when we did that, we were going to kind of lower the price in some of our older stuff and sell it a little bit of a, you know, just at a lower price level. Our newer stuff would be our, our premium product. Um, so our new stuff's not out yet. It's going to be, you know, early May, but we've decided to go ahead and like discount some of our kind of current products, take, you know, do some discounts on those. And we've, we've seen that, you know, we've seen that help us, um, you know, help just, you know, increase our sales levels a little bit. Um, so we we basically just moved up something we were going to do anyway, from an aspect of kind of different you know different in marketing. I mean you know we haven't done a ton. I think the thing that we've tried to avoid you know something that I'm sure you see and we see we get emails every day from companies about you know a, a long letter from the CEO about their response to COVID nineteen. Like to be honest, no one gives a crap about you know, precision pros are fun for this. Like, you know, that's, that's if, you well need a finder, <laughs> if you need a range finder, we're going to, we have one for you. If you need service. We're going to do that for you. But otherwise, like, I don't have any way to help you out. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so we're just trying to like, you know, post stuff that's hopefully positive. Try to get out, play golf if you can, if you can't, then hopefully soon you can. But, um, you know, there's not, you know, we don't try to present a like message that we've got some like, you know, that we're have some magic bean for you because I, Sorry, but we can't do anything. So. Um, so I've got two more questions. They're a little bit more, um, I don't know if abstract is the right word, but uh, one is, is there a, a belief or like a business tenant that you held to be absolute or true before the outbreak of COVID-19 uh, 
that has recently been shattered or you've had you've been forced to rethink it? Um, I don't think that there's anything that that's proven untrue for us. Um, I feel terrible for restaurants and golf and retail golf retail. We've got friends in golf retail like that just can't be open and yeah. like they you know it's it's fortunately for us we can we're able to continue to be open and you know we're able to sell enough that like we can make buy we don't have to like you know lay up any of our guys like we can keep everyone because we need them um so i won't say there's anything that's like shattered my my faith in kind of our business or our model i i think my biggest sin is like this will end so at some point you know we're gonna it will be over we need to continue working on things for the future just as if we were you know things are going along normally to any extent we can um because at some point, yeah, we're going to, you know, it'll be over and we'll, you know, we'll be back to day-to-day business as normal. Yeah. And then last question, Clay, uh, once you're able to play golf again, um, or if you, you currently are, where's the first place you're going to play? The first place that I'm going to play? Well, that's one thing. Our, <laughs> it's a good question. One thing our team has been uh, missing, we do our afternoon putting contest in our office, so we have to do that virtually now. But uh I've got a little, uh, a little uh, smaller club here near me that I play at, and I've actually played there a few times. Um, so, I would our golf league's supposed to start up in uh, a couple weeks. So hopefully that still goes off. I think everyone's doing, uh, you know, it's one person do cart and they're sanitizing carts. So, and where what course is that? Uh, it's called Highland Country Club. Okay. It's in my, uh, yeah, in my town, in Kentucky here. Cool. We'll give a shout out to Highland. Um, well, Clay, Absolutely. thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I think uh, interesting time. So it's nice to get a firsthand perspective of how it's impacting things um, in, the, in the golf industry. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I hope things uh, are going okay for you guys. And I uh, hope everyone gets back on the course very soon. All right. Next up is my conversation with Malcolm Murray. Uh, apologies in advance if the audio is a bit tough to hear. Uh, I've been having some bandwidth issues here at the Kill House. And we were doing it over Skype, uh, you know, across the pond. Uh, But let's be honest, it wouldn't be a good trap draw episode without some audio issues. Um, So here's Malcolm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with uh, Malcolm Murray, uh, who is the uh, head pro and and GM. Malcolm, is that right, at at Brora Golf Club? I'm the head professional, yeah, at Brora Golf Club. We do have Tony Gill, who's our general manager, who's in the office. Okay. And uh, are you still in the office, or are you working from home these days? Um, with the amount of online sales that we've had recently, I've been in, in the office, in the shop, dealing with all the sales that we've had from the support over the last few days. So, But I will be generally working from home going forward in the next week or so yeah malcolm i'm uh i'm still bummed i missed uh the taurus sauce season two trip but uh Brora was featured in i think episode 11 of uh, season two of taurus sauce so hopefully i'll get to experience the uh what sounds like a really special place um at some point you know in the near future um but i'm i'm curious i just wanted to start if you can set the scene of, of Brora, maybe a brief history uh and then how long you've been working there um, just to give listeners a, a background on the course. Yeah, uh, so Brora is in the Highlands of Scotland, uh, 60 miles from Inverness north. Uh, most people would maybe have heard of Royal Dornick. We're roughly 16 miles from Royal Dornick. 
Um, our existence as a golf club has been since 1891. Um, and then the, ma and the major redesign of what the land sits on now was in, by James Braid um, between the years 1923 and 24, uh, and our courses sort of existence from there, um, from what James Braid laid out at that point. Very little has changed in that time. We keep it as sort of traditional links course as we absolutely can. Uh, yeah, the other aspect of, I suppose, our course is that we have sheep and cattle that are grazing on on the course and that's been historic grazing rights over a long time and they're still out there and I guess that's part of the charm of our course um, for the last however many years I suppose. Um, in terms of myself at the club, um, I've been here for roughly four years uh, at the, in the pro shop and uh, we've just sort of, over the last four years, grown and grown. Um, obviously, with the likes of yourselves coming over from Solly, making this hole in one, to to the soft season two, it's been a massive help to us and grown the visitors that we've had in in the last few years. Um, endless times of people coming into the shop, mentioning about watching the video. Uh, it's just, yeah, pretty overwhelming, really, and uh, and the love for the course has been amazing, really. Well, that's that's good to hear. I'm happy uh, uh, the video is uh, uh, has helped out even a little bit. I, I do want to add a caveat. I think it's a alleged hole in one there from Solly. Uh, you know, we, yeah, yeah, we nobody saw it go in, so you know, we'll let the uh, uh, the listeners be the judge of that uh, and the and the uh, viewers of the video. Um, but I'm curious, uh, from a membership standpoint, what's the breakdown between local members or members within the, the area versus international members? Yeah, so in terms of local locals, so we're talking about Dora and just neighboring villages. In terms of playing members, uh, not much more than 100, if I'm honest. Um, and then, you know, we do have social members things like that we do locally and then have a Highland membership, which is really based sort of Highland for people who live within the Highland Council region. Um, I think we've sort of gained up to 60 to 80, maybe in that sort of bracket. I don't know the exact number. And then from an overseas perspective, yes, we've uh, we'd probably be in a similar sort of boat to the Highland membership, probably between 60 and 80 overseas members uh, that we have on our books at the moment. Okay. And, you know, the, our conversation here is is kind of related to the pandemic going on and, and COVID-19. Just very generally, how is this pandemic impacting your business? So it's, yeah, completely massive. I mean, about two weeks ago, certainly I could foresee this being, you know, not good for us, really. Um, the bulk of our, our our income comes from overseas visitors or even visitors within the UK. So um, to give you some idea, um, we, in terms of visitor income to membership income, is roughly three to one. So, you know, and that's probably across the board from being in the pro shop to 
bar and catering and such like. So it's, yeah, and to go potentially this whole summer without having any visitor income at all is pretty, yeah, it's not good. Um, and we, yeah, I mean, through the winter to help our sort of cash flow, we do take full deposits for for visiting golfers, I suppose, and that they pay their green fee up front, as you would, I suppose, you'd book to go to a concert or something, you would you would pay for that up front. So we took that sort of mantle uh, and run with that for our business. But, yeah, obviously when lockdown is coming in and no real chance of any any golf, certainly in the foreseeable future, that, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we got to the point where we were looking at how many, how much we had taken in deposits for golf to obviously how much we had in our bank account. And we have roughly 20 members of staff that are, we pay for for 12 months of the year. And we, we invest in, in the staff and to pay them 12 months a year to make sure that we've got them in the busiest time. So that's, yeah. So to have 20 staff on your books, you've paid them all winter with not a lot of income. And then get in March time, uh, sort of not looking good in terms of figures, in terms of numbers that are going to come and play your course, use your bar and catering, do your pro shop, playing competitions. Yeah, it's not yeah, it's not not good for, for the golf club as such. Yeah, so when did you feel like you realized when was the kind of oh shit moment for you? Was it before the travel bans? Did you see it come in a little earlier? Yeah, for me, um I think I remember I was uh I was at our actually local football team or soccer as as you as American would call it. Um I was at a day out with my brother-in-law, my wife, and uh, sister-in-law, and uh, we'd obviously seen it in the news, obviously, of the COVID-19 and the spread, I suppose, that was happening in Italy at that time. And, yeah, it was the oh shit moment, as you're saying, not looking good for, for any sort of overseas travel or that. And... I think our general manager, Tony, came into the shop one day, um, probably two or three days after that, and we heard that one of the Chelsea players had got it. And basically, the the Premier League was shut down, all football was shut down, and that was our moment saying to each other, we're, yeah, we're not in a good place. Um, but yeah, there's much, obviously, it's, it's yeah, not good personally for for the for my work or or anywhere at Rhoda. Um it's a much bigger scale by the you know the looks of everything that's going on um across the world that yeah, you no know, lockdown for us, you know, is is insignificant compared to what people are going through currently. So um we're staying at home, we're trying to stay as safe as much as possible. Um yeah, I mean, my wife, unfortunately, has an underlying health issue. So she, yeah, so we have to be very careful um, at home too. So it's, yeah, we have to stick by our guidelines and, and make sure that we stay as safe as possible and, and look after our, 
our health service in the UK, certainly for us. And is the is the golf course open for local play or is everything shut down? No, uh, for us, we, we shut everything down. We, uh, we, we do, you know, with obviously what the government have put, put out, what Scottish golf, English golf have put out, we do feel it's irresponsible for us to be out playing golf. Um, it is difficult, and I think, think certainly local locals are finding that difficult and hard to sort of understand that anyone can go out and just go for a walk for an hour, but they can't just go for a walk and play golf. Um, so it's, yeah, people are finding that difficult. So, yeah, there's no golf at all. Unfortunately, we had we had our spring open that was meant to take place on just Sunday there. We just about had 100 people entered, and that was still when this was sort of kicking off. People were still entering, still wanting to play golf. But it was just, we couldn't do it. There's just, you know, there's not a lot in the village. So if we've got 100 people coming to the golf club, at that point, the bar and catering was shut down. So they had to go, they had to then go and at least use a shop or something locally. And then they're responsible to, to take people up to Jora to then go and use our shops and put the local pe- people at risk of, of any virus that is going about. So, yeah. And, and from a you know, I guess a business standpoint or a course standpoint, are there any projects you had planned that you have to put on hold? And on the flip side of that, was there anything you did this winter that maybe you wish you'd, you'd, you hadn't done now that you, now that we're in this, the situation we're in? Yeah. From our golf club perspective, we, um, we, we do have many plans actually due to the amount of growth that we've had. So, um, yeah, I mean, that we were looking at actually building new greenkeeper sheds. Um, we bought and ordered new equipment, so we've got a new greens iron that literally came in the week before the shutdown that, yeah, we've, we had to pay up front for. We were doing a lease deal on a new tractor as well as a fairway mower, um, which haven't been delivered yet. Uh, and from a pro spot pro pro shop perspective for me we were in the process of potentially moving our pro shop into our trolley shed into far bigger far bigger sort of square footage to obviously maximize how much we could make out the pro shop and because the numbers that we were expecting and coming was going to be far greater even than the year before so we were looking at doing loads of things really that now are on hold and who knows when, when they could even happen again. Um, yeah. And then uh, maybe more of a projection on your end. Um, what do you think the, like the runway is for if you're shut down for how long? And I mean, I know that the merchandise is helpful, but what, what I, I maybe what I'm getting at is like the split between what you make on golf versus food and beverage. So is there any way you could open the golf up? Like, are there, you know, what, what, what's kind of the runway for when it's like, okay, we got it. We, we have to shut down completely. Yeah. I mean, food, yeah. Food and beverage is, you know, say a hundred thousand to the pro shop turnover. Um, say a hundred thousand as well, roughly. Um, there's not, you know, the, you know, even if the golf does come back on and people can come and play, 
it's only going to be our local members that are able to play, not visitors. So most local members have bought stuff in the pro shop and that before for us. Um, so the ten probably wouldn't buy anywhere near as much as say a visiting golfer who'd come want to get their shirt or their ball marker or something like that. So even if it was opened up a little bit, it wouldn't help in terms of us getting any sort of major revenue in to cover the twenty odd staff that we have that we're that we have been committed to paying, I suppose. Yeah. I I think it's important to get that kind of background firsthand. Um, helpful to understand how the the business relies on on tourism. Um, I got one final, well, two final questions. The first is uh, from the NLU Tour Sauce video. Uh, you see, you know, the electric fences feature prominently. Are those are those still on? Uh, are they still are they still running, or is the electric? Are you trying to keep the electric bill down? So at the moment, we do have sheep and cattle, and um, mainly sheep on the course uh, at the moment. But usually animals do come off uh, in April to help Canadians uh, recover. So currently, as there is sheep still on the course, we are running electricity. Um, just to purely protect greens. I mean, we do pride ourselves on having uh, great services at Brora, and we, couldn't, we can't currently you know, let them go at the moment. So electricity is still running, but I do foresee when the animals are off the course that we would certainly shut the electricity down on them obviously to save that cost we have shut down most electricity in the clubhouse and um, like obviously the cooler of the pro shop for one half in the bar fridges and freezers stuff like that everything sort of shut down to reduce any sort of cost that is sort of what we would incur normally yeah, and last uh, last question: What is the uh, what is the best and the worst thing uh, for working from home for you? Um, good question. Good question. So at the moment, with the publicity that we have had, um, I have been going into work through the demand that we have. So I haven't. I probably haven't got a great perspective on that yet, but. Certainly, um, I've got two young kids, so I get to see them every day. That that could certainly be the best and the worst, that they will certainly come and annoy you probably when you're trying to do things. So, yeah, they could probably be the best and worst, I guess. Yeah, over here, I think the uh, the best thing for me is I've, I've been playing a lot of Scrabble, so I'm getting back into the, into the board games, which is good. Uh, so there seems to be some free time in the evening. Um, but I'm getting a little bit of cabin fever, so uh, I'm sure. you know it's it's a bit of a Groundhog Day situation. Um, but yeah. Malcolm, I appreciate your time and and uh, perspective, um, and I'm you know we're rooting for you over here, and just wanted to kind of let you speak for yourself and give everybody an inside view of of how you know how you guys are trying to manage this situation and and uh, you know go about keeping the uh, the business going. Thanks very much, Neil. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I personally, um, as part of the golf club, would would want to give Lane up a big shout out for your support um, and doing the towel sale. It really means a lot to us. So yeah, yeah, can't 
can thank you guys enough. Definitely. We're happy to help. Uh, so stay safe, stay healthy, uh, and we will uh, we'll hopefully see you soon. Good man. Thank you. All right. Before we get to my conversation with Alex Holderness, I want to say a few words about today's sponsor, Raycon Headphones. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, uh, probably doing both, or hopefully you're doing both, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what Tron or what Randy's listening to. Uh, you want to hear your music or your podcast. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon's earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are comfortable. I can attest. I've been using them in the Kill House garage, and I've been absolutely grinding. Uh, and it's nice to have some good tunes going when you're doing that. Uh, you've probably heard us talk about how the company was founded by Ray J and other celebrities uh, like J.R. Smith, uh, an NLU, uh, an NLU guy in a way, a uh, great golfer in his own right, I've heard, uh, are obsessed with Raycon headphones. So pick up a pair and see what all the hype is about. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash no laying up. That's buyraycon.com slash no laying up for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. All right, let's uh, get to our uh, third conversation here with Alex Holderness, co-founder and CEO of Holderness and Born. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Alex Holderness of Holderness and Born. Um, Alex, how are you? Doing well. Quarantined or isolated up in uh, New York. But not, so, uh, but not in Manhattan. Not in Manhattan. Was in Manhattan for a few weeks with my wife and two small children and uh, thought a little better of that scene. So we escaped. We're on Long Island, uh, which is the new hotbed. So, you know, wherever we go, wherever we turn these days, yeah, uh, we've got the situation. But, yeah, we're making do. It's fine. No complaints. A little more space, though, which is good. Exactly. Um, so I don't know if I can call Holderness and Born a, a, a small retailer anymore, maybe midsize. <laughs> yeah, well, if we're flattering ourselves, we've, uh, we've grown quite a bit. Yeah, we're about five years in. Uh, we've got, yeah, a pretty good business. Um, we stock more than 500 clubs and resorts, primarily in the U.S. We've got a few accounts around the world. Tara Eady, uh, Sunningdale, Laborde, places like that. But yeah, we're primarily a, a U.S.-based uh, golf apparel business at this point, and we've got a team of more than 10 employees. We've uh, been growing quickly, and it's been good. You know, the, the macro situation we face now is certainly a curveball, but uh, we've maintained the team intact and, you know, happy to talk to you guys about what we're seeing and, and how we're reacting, uh, given everything that's, that's happened recently. Yeah, um, I'm curious specifically uh, if you had one or two main impacts of the virus on your business specifically? Um, like what, what's, you know, what's taking up most of your day or like what's causing the most problems? Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we were worried when this whole thing started to kick in the high gear that it was going to be more on the supply side. And interestingly enough, it hasn't, it's been more demand oriented. So 
a lot of our product, um, just to speak to the supply side, you know, a lot of our apparel is, is manufactured overseas. Some of it comes from South Korea, some of it's from China, some of it's from Peru. Uh, we get a lot of our fabric inputs from Italy. And um, it, it's been a bit hit or miss. You know, we've, we've certainly not um, made it through the last few months without any delays, but there haven't been as many delays as we thought we might experience getting product from our factories into our warehouse here in New York. Uh, the more significant impact we've felt has certainly been on the, the demand side. So as I mentioned, we've got 500 accounts around the country, uh, primarily country clubs, golf clubs, a few resorts, places like Pinehurst and Streamsong and Pebble Beach. And what we've seen over the past month as all of the um, – state regulations have hit, you know, in terms of people needing to shelter in place and, and basically um, eliminate non-essential economic activity is that people have put their orders on hold. So uh, facilities have basically had to shut or operate in a way that means they can't take their delivery. And for us, that just means that we're not shipping orders uh, the way we thought we would be during what is usually our peak season for business. You know, this is the time of year here in the early to mid spring where we're just cranking. We're trying to get as many orders out the door as possible every day. And, and all of a sudden now we're in a situation where instead we're basically waiting around and we're shipping a little bit right now, but not as much as we thought. And um, we've got to hope for some sunnier days ahead. And so did that, did those phone calls from cities resorts or some of your main accounts, did they start coming all at once or was it kind of staggered? Did it take a week? Like how, how long did that take to happen? Yeah, it, it's been more staggered and it's still evolving. I mean, I think hopefully, knock on wood, most of uh, the requests to hold or cancel orders have, have come in uh, by now. But yeah, it took a few weeks. I think because the situation evolved state by state, region by region around the country, and, and it continues to evolve that way, people have reacted differently just based on what they're seeing on the ground and whether their facility is open and able to operate. Um so it's been it's been more staggered, and I think everybody at this point now feels like there's a pretty clear read on the current state of uh, play here in here in this country. But yeah, it's evolving so rapidly that we can't take anything for granted, and we're just sort of going day by day. And would you say most of the you know conversations you've had have they been cancellations outright, or is it on hold? Like no, orders. thankfully for us, it's, thankfully for us, the vast majority has been hold orders. So, folks uh, want to get their delivery. They, you know, in, in many cases, the, the clubs and resorts we work with uh, schedule a delivery a month or a delivery every other month throughout the peak spring summer season. And it's been a matter of saying, you know, let's put those on hold for now. And so, instead of sending me a March, April, May three delivery set, let's plan for a May, June, July three delivery set and we'll see, you know, hopefully that'll end up playing out um, in that manner, but we just don't know yet. And, and so there, you know, the vast majority of the feedback we've had from accounts right now is just along the lines of hold my order or my set of orders and we might need to delay them, but I'm going to keep them intact as opposed to, I just need to cancel outright. Um, and the cancellations, the ones I think, you know, just to give you a little bit of color there, the, the accounts that have been more inclined to cancel, are the ones that I think have more of a national um, member or guest type of business where it's folks flying in from somewhere not local to, to come in and spend a few days playing golf and, and hopefully shopping in the pro shop. Those folks 
have taken a harder hit and I think we'll continue to because travel is a lot dicier than it was a few months ago. And people, I think are going to be less inclined to get on a plane. Definitely. And, and then as you have to put these orders, orders on hold, they're in your warehouse. How does this impact? Like for you guys, you're working six months ahead, at least probably on like a fall collection. How does this impact what you're going to do for the fall? Does it, does it change the, um, the plans for the next line of, uh, of clothes and designs? Yeah, it's a great question. I We're fortunate to be pretty tight in terms of our overall assortment. We don't have a big phone book catalog where we've got a, a million different products uh, to juggle through a situation like this. So with our fall line, you're absolutely right. You know, when we looked at what was happening here, we already had the spring product in the warehouse. And with the fall orders being placed over the course of March, we were able to react a little bit to what we were seeing and dial it back. So basically we put lighter production orders in with our factories for fall and uh, it gives us an opportunity to wait and see what's going to happen. Um, we're lucky to have some good factory partners that can move quickly. And if we put another set of production orders in, in May or even early June, we can get the product here in time to fill some additional demand if we get it for fall. But if that doesn't pan out in our favor, if, if things are a little bit uh, more bearish through the fall season, then we're set up pretty lean and mean from an inventory perspective. So we'll be able to weather it um, just based on the demand we've already bought. And then in the warehouse itself, any any issues for you guys from a fulfillment standpoint, being that it's in New York, um, has has anything like uh, any problems there getting product out to, to people that do want the uh, still want the merchandise? Thankfully, no. We we took a good look at the pause order that governor Cuomo put into effect a few weeks ago. And there is an exemption for warehouse and fulfillment, um, which does not really, uh, Matt, you know, there is no additional stipulation on whether you're essential or not. I mean, we're not going to try to go and make the argument to anybody that golf apparel is essential, but warehouses and fulfillment centers, uh, regardless of what they're fulfilling are, are exempted from the pause order, which meant that we were able to approach our team and basically say, look, if you want to work, we can continue to function at least with a skeleton crew out at the warehouse. And, um, and so we're fortunate to be able to do that. And our team, there are a few of them that haven't been able to, or, or chose not to, um, for various personal reasons, but there are others on the team who wanted to continue working and, and we wanted to continue shipping the customers who uh, didn't need to put their orders on hold. So we've been able to keep going. It's been a lot slower than normal, but we are continuing to ship. And then if we rewind back to say January or February um, or even early March, like, is there anything you look back on a decision that you guys made that you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or I'm really happy we, we did that. Like it could be either or both. That's a good question. I'll say, you know, with 2020 hindsight, there are certain styles. We make certain shirts that are so good, so sort of dependable, like the blue and white Maxwell striped shirt that we know is going to be popular all season long. And we also know that when we do a member guest event or some other type of event for one of our clients, they'll tend to gravitate towards a few of those key styles. We've bought bigger inventory in some of those than we might have done knowing what the world looks like now, but we don't mind, you know, because a lot of what we do, it's not fast fashion. It's not going to go out of style. 
we might have a little bit more inventory left over at the end of the season in a few of those key styles than, than we would have forecast uh, before this situation arose. But, you know, we can we can keep those products in the warehouse and they're just as popular and stylish next year as they are this year. So it's not really putting us in that difficult position. Um, we always tend to buy a little bit lighter in our pop colors, you know, the stuff that's a little more seasonal and a little more relevant only to a certain period of time. We're very cautious just as a general rule on those things. It's fun to have them, but we don't mind being sold out uh, when we're sold out. So luckily that's always been our approach on that front. And I think that'll serve us well through this period. But uh, generally, yeah, that's the only thing I'd say is, you know, it's tough to manage inventory through a situation like this. And um, other than that, you know, we're, we're lean and mean. We don't have a big team, you know, we're, we're a very sort of sales and product oriented team uh, and everybody's continuing to lift uh, a heavy load here. And, and so I think from that perspective, we're set up the way we want to be to get through this. Yeah. I think on our end um, we put some sun buffs in our Christmas box in December. And I, you know, we ordered like, I think 350 of them and Tron and I were like, man, I, I don't know. I think that's too many, you know, but we got a price break and it was like, okay, well, let's just do it. And then I was like, we're never going to sell these. And then of course, last week we sold, you know, I think 200 in one day. And I was like, man, what, what, you know, that, that decision, I, I look back, I'm like, man, I'm glad I bought them. And then I was going to re-up them. And then the place we get the sun bus from, uh, had to, had to shut down. Um, so I was like, yeah, uh, it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of both. It's like, man, if I would have placed the reorder a week earlier when I thought about it, I just kind of dragged my feet. And so it's funny how you can kind of like look back on stuff like that and be like, I'm really glad I did that. And I wish I would have done, you know, something a little different, um, or a little earlier, I guess is, is, uh, is what I was thinking. Sure. Yeah. Well, inventory is the trickiest thing in retail, you know, it's, it's tough. And we've always, uh, erred on the side of being sold out because we're a small business. We're not backed by any big venture capital money or any, anybody with mega deep pockets. We're just trying to sort of build this thing, uh, in a lean, mean, efficient way. And so for us, that means being cautious as it relates to the decisions we make about inventory and, and how big a team we want to have and how much money we invest at any given point in time. Um, and so luckily, like I said earlier, that, that mindset is going to serve us well here, uh, because it's a, it's a pretty, uh, efficiently run operation and we're going to need to be, you know, to get through all this. Yeah. So, so building off that last question, um, anything that you're going to implement moving forward, like knowing you guys are, you know, you've built your business on, you know, the 500 accounts you've got, it's selling through pro shops that, you know, are currently closed. Like any, any thoughts to like an e a more of an e-commerce operation or, or something, you know, to plan for something like this in the future? Yeah, well, we've got, so we've got our own e-commerce business. It's, it's a healthy little business. It's not as meaningful in terms of the overall percent of the revenue we earn uh, as our wholesale business that, that goes to the Greengrass, you know, the accounts we talked about, clubs and resorts. But it's a nice little e-com business, and we're seeing it perform pretty well through this period, um, despite the fact that we're not doing much marketing. You know, we, we felt like we've seen a lot of brands doing heavy, heavy marketing through this through these past few weeks, and we've, we chose purposefully to sort of stay quiet and leave people alone for a little while. And I think at a certain point, we'll want to have an active conversation with our customers 
uh, and be there for them and help them. But luckily, uh, through this quiet period, we've had good action on the website and people are, people are shopping. They're buying things that are, you know, that you probably would expect from, you know, work from home point of view, comfy cotton shirts, some of our layering styles, like our cotton crew neck award, uh, things that are perfectly, uh, relevant to the type of lifestyle people are living right now. But, um, the more interesting angle in terms of answering your question is, you know, a lot of our wholesale customers are having to get smart on e-commerce and try to figure out ways to reach their members. If they're a, a pro at a club or their guests and, and people who were visiting would otherwise be visiting a resort. Um, so they're looking for e-commerce solutions and we can help them. You know, we can, we can teach them what we've learned about running an e-commerce business. We can give them, uh, codes to use on our side or other, other solutions that help them figure out how to sell product even though they don't have people physically walking through the door of their shop right now. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of interest in that. And a lot of, a lot of smart folks are not just sitting around waiting for this whole thing to blow over. They're, they're trying to figure out how they can make some money right now and get in front of people. And, you know, I think the demand is there. We're seeing quite a few people who still want to buy and they want to participate and support brands that they like. And, and I think there's also an altruistic angle there. People know that this is a tough time for retailers and, especially the smaller ones. Uh, so there's, there's support from that angle as well, but, uh, there's a lot going on with e-commerce right now. I'm sure you guys are seeing it as well. Yeah, we are. Uh, Tron and I have been really surprised the pro shop's done really well the past month. And of course, appreciate any listeners that have, uh, been in the NLU pro shop. But one thing that I've noticed too, we run a small amount of, um, you know, Facebook, Google remarketing. Uh, we don't do any, anything, you know, too crazy as far as, you know, using paid advertising to reach new customers. But I've noticed our, you know, the cost per clicks, the cost per acquisition are down. And, you know, I ta- I used to, you know, build ad campaigns at Google. And I talked to a couple of friends and old colleagues over there. And they said, a lot of the bigger advertisers have paused all their ad campaigns, which is an opportunity, which then sends the auctions way down for the, you know, for the clicks and, and actually opens up an opportunity for smaller businesses to maybe break into online ads, which can be a bit of a rigged game with all the automation and stuff. So I found that sure. pretty interesting, um, you know, it, it, because all the things you said, of if, if people need to reach their customers at home where they don't normally do so, or, uh, you know, every, there's so much more web traffic going on, like we're seeing crazy amounts of traffic on our message board and the pro shop, you know, everything's up from an online standpoint. So, um, it's, it's for us, the worry is a little bit on, on the inventory side, which is why I, I, um, led with that with, with you. It's interesting to hear you say that like the, the sourcing and stuff isn't, isn't really, uh, something that's been a problem. Uh, do you see it? Do you see that being a delayed problem though? Like if you need to get something like you said, it didn't delay orders too much, but, um, you know, maybe, yeah. So we, yeah, yeah we, you're right. We we were in a little bit of a sweet spot from a inventory timing point of view this spring because most of our, almost all of our spring product was already in the warehouse. So we were set up sort of to the gills to ship everything we uh, had pre-booked with our accounts this this spring, and to handle any uh, e-commerce uh, business that was coming in. You know, we we had all the product we needed. Going forward, you're right that there is a little bit more risk. So, you know, we've got um, a cotton shirt program we run out of Peru, and Peru is currently still on a national uh, lockdown where they're they're not allowed to work and they can't get our next production done. So there might be a little bit of a delay there, uh, which would 
feet in the fall if it went on long enough. And it's a similar story with our belts. You know, we, we, we have a nice um, stretch belt that we make here in America. It's made in the garment district in New York City, actually, which is a lot of fun for us to be able to go and, and be in the factory. But the webbing, this really cool rayon stretch webbing we use comes from Italy. And those, those folks are still on lockdown as well. So um, we've been in touch with our factory there, and we're still not clear on how much of a timing delay we're going to see on that front. But yeah, you know, you're right that it's an ongoing issue. And if things don't improve over the next month or two in terms of people being able to get back to work, not only here, but in places like Peru and Italy, uh, then it will start to have an impact. Yeah. For sure. I think we've been lucky. We ship, you know, our fulfillments out of Salt Lake City with uh, with Vox Fulfillment. Uh, shout out to those guys because they've been doing an awesome job and, and they haven't had any issues. But let's say there was, you know, let's say it was in a, a hot spot or something. For us, that would be like a, you know, we don't we don't have any redundancy. We don't have 11, 11 warehouses across the country. Um, so, you know, when Tron and I are think, sitting around thinking about like where are we exposed, that would be, you know, that would be something that, that keeps us up at night. And thankfully, it hasn't been an issue yet. Yeah. Um, I think the the other big, uh, I guess, disappointment for us was we couldn't, you know, the Flushing Meadow Pitch and Putt NLU H&B oh. event is is uh, is canceled at, uh, June 17th of, of U.S. Open Week as of now. Yeah, well, it's, it's a heartbreaker not to be able to, to do that whole thing in June when it's going to be warm and nice and uh fun to be outside at night doing that sort of thing but yeah well hopefully if everything goes ahead in the fall we'll be able to rekindle it like you said and um that's one of the biggest disappointments when we think about you know just the impact of this in golf is all of the gatherings you know i we're just it's it's hard to tell what's going to happen with things like that and and member guests and never mind the idea of having a gallery at a golf tournament um it's all a big question mark right now. And it's, it's frustrating because I know this is a lot of what we all love about golf is that everybody can get together and you can meet new people and have a good time. And whether you're playing golf or having a beer, watching it, it's, it's what we love. And so, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back to it before too long. Definitely. Uh, well, thanks Alex. I appreciate your time. Thanks Neil, man. Appreciate the partnership. Take care. See ya. And our last guest uh, for this episode is Lauren Coughlin, who plays professional golf on the LPGA and Symmetra Tour and is also the star of uh, the Pinehurst episodes of Taurus Sauce Carolinas, which we recently aired on YouTube. I'd just like to say that I still get chills seeing that birdie putt she made on 18 uh, at Pinehurst number 2 go in with everybody sitting around on the back deck at Pinehurst. Uh, what a fun day that was. So I'm really excited to see her uh, crank it up again and do really well and hopefully uh, lock up that LPGA card, um, that full status for 2021. Uh, so here's my conversation with with Lauren. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're here with uh, Lauren Coughlin, uh, LPGA and Symmetra Tour player. Uh, so we'll discuss a little bit of the split status there. Lauren, how are you? Good. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, no, I'm happy to be here. I forgot to to mention the most important accolade: a no laying up young hitter as of 2020 <laughs> and star of the uh, acclaimed season five of No Laying Ups Taurus Sauce, uh, where you can see her playing the Pinehurst courses. Uh, I guess episode seven, eight, and nine. Anyway. Laura, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I we were just talking. I don't think you've been on on the podcast before, so. 
maybe a little uh, background on, you know, your golf career, where you went to school, and then how you've made it onto the, the uh, LPGA Tour. So I went to the University of Virginia. I graduated my undergrad in 2015, and I stayed a fifth year and graduated that and got my master's in 2016. Um, I registered as my first year. I was very much like a late bloomer, not not ready yet to be playing. But my coaches, you know, saw a lot of potential in me. And so they were like, hey, will you come? I'm probably going to redshirt you. But then, you know, you can stay a fifth year if you want. And, you know, I, I was a walk-on as well. Like I wasn't scholarship in the beginning. But they, like I said, they really wanted me to come. So I went there um, and just got better and better kind of every year. And then my fifth year, I was an All-American and ACC Player of the Year. And then so I turned pro pretty much right after that, right after I graduated in 2016. Um, played some, like, state opens there that first summer because I didn't go to Q school well, um, during my fifth year. And then, yeah, so I went to Q school in the, that 2016 year. And then... Didn't made, I made it to finals, but I did not get LPGA status until I played a full year on Symmetra in 2017 and then got full status at Q School at the end of 2017 to play a full year of LPGA on 2018. And then now the past two years, I've kind of just had split status, unfortunately, but re- ready to get back on the LPGA. Okay. And that's kind of, I think, why I, I reached out I'm curious, you know, this, this podcast specifically, uh, we'll have to do another one to dive into the, to deep dive into the career. Um, yeah, that's, that's helpful because it's, it's kind of how this virus and pandemic is impacting, uh, people from around the golf industry. And I think it's, it's really interesting in your, your case being split between the, um, Symmetra tour and the LPGA. And I'm curious if, if you feel like you had maybe an um, an inside look at at this virus coming, because I think the LPGA Asian Swing was was canceled in January. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it was. Yeah. So, like, and then that impacts you because then less tournaments for you to potentially get a spot in if all those players are coming back to play. Like, are there opposite field events for those, or like, how does that impact your your status or your ability to get into some of these tournaments? Yeah, so I I think my number for the year was one seven. My priority list number was one seventy one, and so they go off that list, you know, to get into tournaments. So basically, I need you know about thirty people not to thirty people ahead of me to not play to get into an event. It's kind of the golden rule. Um, usually, with those Asian swing events, they're only like there's only like sixty five players in them, and they're no cut. So it's only you know the top sixty players from the last year that get into those. And so because of that, they get like a nice little cushion there in the beginning. And I can, you know, bank on getting in a couple of the tournaments there in the beginning of the year because they're, they've already gotten some starts. And so they can take a, a week or two off if they want to. Right. And so with, with them canceling those, I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm getting to any of the West Coast swings <laughs> because now everybody that would have gone and played in those Asia events now had three less tournaments that they're not playing in, so they're gonna they're not gonna be skipping ones that they normally would have. So I was like, well, any chance I thought I was gonna have to get into an event, I I got nothing now. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go try to Monday queue. And did but that then, did that play out as, as you thought it would? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely, it was crazy. The Phoenix event was like the first event back here stateside after what would have been that Asian swing. And I think the field moved from moved about 20 people. <laughs> like, it went moved down the list about yeah. 20 people. And did that same scenario play out in the tournaments following that, or was that a more of a one-time thing? Yeah, I think Kia kind of already stayed the same. That's the tournament right after the Founders in Phoenix. That one, people usually go play in anyways because the week before the ANA. And I mean, it's just a great golf course. I mean, you guys went. I don't. Did you go there, Neil, or was it just? No, Tron? I think uh, DJ and Tron went. Yeah, I mean, it's like an one of the nicest courses that and that they play all year for sure. Like it's awesome, and so people. And it's the week before the ANA, and it's in San Diego, so it's like an hour and a half from Palm Springs. So most people go play that one anyway. So it didn't affect that one. But then after the ANA is Hawaii which again is another one that like I could have banked on getting in. And then after, after the Asia thing, I was not in, but I don't know. It was, this was still like, everything was still kind of all playing out. And at that point in February, I was like, yeah, I might get into Hawaii, but we'll see. <laughs> Whereas like before all of that, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to get into Hawaii. And from the LPGA standpoint, they're probably sending out communications to you as a, as a player uh, in January, February. Did, do you feel mm-hmm. like one was the, was the, how was the communication from the tour? Were they forthright with the players or like, did they offer you as a, someone down the list, any type of, I guess not makeup because it's, it's just, you know, it's, it is what it is, right. They're not playing in those tournaments, but was there kind of weekly communication on the situation? Yeah. Mike Wong is awesome. He is very, very, I feel like, transparent with us. And we were getting emails weekly almost. And even now, we're still getting, you know, weekly emails about, you know, what if there's any chance to to get some tournaments here back um, that are postponed, you know, changing the schedule, this and that, like those types of things. He's, you know, in contact with it, with us all the time. Yeah, and, and because of the... <laughs> um because of the situation with the Asian swing, do you feel like you were following the news more closely? Like, did you, I don't want to say see it coming, but were you like, man, this is, this is serious and, and get an indication that maybe the same thing is going to happen in the U S. Yeah, definitely. Especially when a lot of our, the West coast events, you know, we're in hot spots. Like we have LA and San Francisco and then the ANA and Palm Springs and San Diego, like those were all hot spots. So it's like, I, I was, going to be really hard to see if like yeah we're going to go play those even back in like february just because of how it was it was playing out here in the states at that point and then shifting gears a little bit maybe not shifting gears but after this hiatus (laughs) like when we come back you know hopefully soon how will this affect your schedule do you see moving forward yeah so i saw a status from smetra based on how i played last year um, because I finished, you know, I finished 15th on the money list last year, top 10, get your card. So I have like super high priority on Symmetra and I paid dues on both since I'm not considered a full LPGA player, just based on where I finished at key school. So I pay both dues. And so, yes, I do have priority to get into Symmetra events, but I'm also a mem- like a full member of the Symmetra tour as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was planning on, I I was banking on probably getting in five, six tournaments 
not counting anything that I was going to Monday queue in to, to. And that was kind of my goal or my plan at the start of the year. I was going to go play the first Metro event just to kind of get, you know, some tournament reps under my belt because I had just gone four months with no tournament. And then I was going to go hit the Monday, Monday qualifiers in Phoenix and Kia and then get into Hawaii and really hit the LPGA hard before the reshuffle. But then now that this has all happened, like, I don't think I'll get into any LPGA events. <laughs> like, maybe one because I have um, a partner for the Dow, the team event. So I'm, I'm probably going to go play that as long as it's still going, which will be super fun. But, yeah, I'm just going to go play Symmetra, just because, especially since I finished tied for third that, in that first event. Like, I have a really good foundation going for that. So I'm just going to go hit, hit it hard and get my card that way. <laughs> And as far as this break goes, how does this impact your game and your mentality? Like, what's your what's your practice regimen look like, and and what have you been doing to uh, to stay sharp? Yeah, I mean, it sucks because I one I had everything going like really good, ready going into that first tournament, and so I was peaking. At, I had done it just right to where I. I was going to play really, really good golf those next couple of weeks. And so I had really good opportunities to get into those LPGA events. And so that part sucks. And now it's, it's hard because, you know, typically, you know, you have your set date that like, I need to be ready by this date. I need to be peaking at this date. So all your practice is geared towards getting ready for that specific date. And right now everything's up in the air. <laughs> so it's hard to, to have like a set practice plan when you're not really sure when exactly you're going to be playing again. So what I'm kind of doing is just really hitting the gym hard. Well, my home gym that I've made <laughs> um, and just trying to stay as trying to stay, my, keep my golf game at like a good level. Just so when I do find out when I'm going to be playing again, I, I didn't lose any ground, but I'm also like, and I can, mess around with a couple things that I didn't do so well at that first event and work on those and try to get better. And, but that's all I can really do at this point. Yeah. And from a golf standpoint, what does, what does working from home look like? Do you use the putting mat? Are you, do you have a net in the garage? Like I'm, I'm curious about your, uh, any golf related I've, workouts. Yeah. I've been lucky. Um, the golf courses are still open here in Houston. Granted, like you can't go on, clubhouses or anything and they are still having carts out but i'm not i'm trying to stay away from anything that you know other people could have been touching and that type stuff so i can i still go putt i can still go you know hit golf balls on the range and chip and go play but so that part hasn't really changed the thing that changed the most is that i've been like a member of like a gym and now i can't go to a gym so i'm like what am i supposed to do Luckily, I had the hindsight where I saw that it was coming, that they were definitely going to be closing gyms and stuff, right? So I went to Dix and got some Bowflex, like, adjustable dumbbells and, like, an adjustable kettlebell. So I can pretty much do anything that I want to in terms of workouts at home. And I don't have to go to a gym, and I'm not losing any of the stuff that I worked on over the off-season to get stronger and faster. Yeah, I was looking on Amazon for some dumbbells for uh, U here. It's they're not shipped until May, so. Yeah, well, seriously, I went on like a Tuesday, 
And by Friday, my, John, you know, my husband, his like friend went to go get them and they were like sold out nationally. Yeah. <laughs> and no, and now John even went on eBay to look and I paid $350 for the set for the Bowflex. They're going on eBay for like 1500 now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, similar question to staying sharp as you mm-hmm. as you do go back does this do you feel like this puts more pressure on you in this season or is it kind of always you got to play good and that's just the way pro golf is i mean in theory yes because it's gonna be much more condensed it'll be a lot less tournament but i feel like i've had four years of you know preparation and i don't think that it's going to Necessarily, at least I hope that it doesn't put any added pressure on me just because I feel like I've been doing everything I can to get to that next level and I feel like I'm ready so I'm just rearing and ready to go like I'm itching to get back out and playing again I got a couple more questions for you um, mm-hmm. I guess one I'm curious about you mentioned the dues earlier so you're paying dues on both tours and as you know, an independent contractor, one has has there is there any outreach from either tour that like they're going to, you know, not make you pay those dues because you're not playing in the tournaments? Um, and then financially, like, does this put you in a tough spot? Like, what what kind of runway are you are you ready for this? Just because if you're not playing good for a certain stretch, you're not you know you're not making money, or does this like unforeseen pandemic? put uh, a ton of financial stress on a pro golfer? I think for someone at my level, it puts a lot of financial stress just because, especially since I just went four months, you know, without income, right? I went four months from off season. Luckily I did pretty well that first tournament. So I was able to, to get a nice little paycheck there, but now I'm going to go, you know, another couple months without income which is tough but I'm at the same time I'm also going to have very minimal I'm also not going to be spending money because I'm not traveling I'm not um, paying entry fees or anything like that but I mean it, it does suck because I can't while I may, may not be spending money I also can't make any money and so luckily I have you guys who are still going to be <laughs> paying my sponsorship money for this year and then I have a company from that also sponsors me from they're like a local company that from where I grew up and they're still gonna they're still you know gonna do their part um but I mean it's just it's just hard because you want to go and play and you want to go and be able to be financially independent and you want to be able to go and earn a living and when you can't go play you can't do any of that um (laughs) and then last question what's the worst part about working from home I'm sorry. What, you broke up there a little bit. For you, what's the worst part about working from home? <sighs> the worst part? I mean, it gets very, very just like on repeat. Every single day is kind of the same. <laughs> and, well, right now, my husband, John's not here yet. So I've just been around my parents and my siblings because um, they're all home. But that's great because my sister has a dog. So I get to hang out with her all the time now but i mean it just gets really boring and really monotonous i guess you say you're i go work out i go to the golf course i come home 
and then and then I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I would say the workout <laughs> part has been. I've enjoyed the routine of I'm, I'm back in the in the groove of working out, but I can I can echo that it is a bit of a Groundhog Day situation. Yeah, it's just the thing you can't because you can't go do like I can't go out to eat, you can't go to the movies, you can't go to the mall, like you can't go to a sport. You, you can't even just watch a sporting event really unless you want to watch repeats. Um, but I, I play Call of Duty, so really? I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. Luckily, John. Um, when he came down for Christmas, brought the PlayStation with him, so I, with him, so I have that here. But yeah, I pretty much work out. I go to the golf course, and then I come home and play Call of Duty. Have you uh, been that's about like <laughs> like Tiger? Are you playing online? Are you uh, are you testing yourself against the best out there? I'm trying. Yeah, I play online. Um, I don't talk though because. <laughs> <laughs> For but, sure. Yes, I play. <laughs> it can get a little toxic, I'm sure. I'm not a gamer, so I I wouldn't know, but I can only imagine the headset can get a little toxic. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I did it in I was in, in high school. I did it, and yeah, I would just like not talk just because anytime they would hear my voice. <laughs> so, but yes, I still play. It's my my guilt. I guess my guilty pleasure is I play a lot of Call of Duty. <laughs> well, I didn't expect that, but I love it. That's that is a, a perfect note to end on. Uh, <laughs> And, and encourage folks out there to, to uh, dust off the PS2 or the Xbox, whatever your console of choice mm-hmm. is. Thank Fine. you for your time. I appreciate your uh, perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and take care, and, and hopefully you can uh, that the course stays open as long as possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it will. Um, Patrick Reed practices out there, and he, he told me that even if they close, like he'll have balls out there so that I can use. So, <laughs> Well, there you go. Patrick yeah. Reed looking out for uh, his fellow professional. Yeah, I know he's actually super nice, but well, <laughs> that's for another another day. No, that's that's good to, good to hear. I'm I'm uh, a firsthand perspective. <laughs> that's exactly what we were looking for here. Yeah. So well, anyways, well, cool. Well, thank Thanks. you. Favorite trapper, the absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who